Good afternoon, folks. Coming to you live from the heart of the United States, just north of Texas, south of Kansas, in my safe room where I can see outside, and it's great. I'd like to thank Michael Mann for allowing me to use his song for my intro. I'm going to put the full song at the end of the podcast. I hope you all enjoy it. I, I really like the song. Uh, it's a really good song. The uh, one thing I'd like to uh, give a plug to is Richardson and Barr. It is a great website for looking at EMP stock indices, oil hubs. Cushing right now is at 63.20, down a whole two cents from yesterday. But folks, we're going to be seeing this price continue to rise. Uh, the Department of Interior just the other day has uh, come out and said. If the Dakota Access Pipeline is shut down, jobs can be lost. I don't know how in the world. This isn't a liberal agenda anymore. This is a left agenda. We're going to start seeing major construction pipelines. This is also called Infrastructure 2. Attempted to be shut down. Uh, Prices will continue to rise. And then everybody's going to be pointing their fingers. And what's going to happen is Government themselves will be pulling in the CEOs of whatever company into the Senate, into some kind of dog and pony show once again and saying, why are oil prices so high? Why are prices skyrocketing? And as things sit and look, uh, there's now discussion of $100 oil, which is not good. The $75 Q2 oil is becoming more and more prevalent, but... As we continue, I like, uh, I'm going to start off the show with a BBQ question, a brain buster question, and I'm going to have the answer at the end of the show, but I'm sure you're going to be able to figure out what the number three use of electricity is on the planet. Uh, there's countries and there's this one entity, it's a giant entity. Number one for electrical use is China. Number two is the United States. And number three, you're going to have to guess for the whole show, but I'm sure you're going to be able to figure it out as things go along. As we progress today, uh, not only is uh, are we sitting around trying to figure out why the United States is still such a great country, and it is, uh, boils down to the ownership of personal property. Uh, That is very important. It has always been important. People have always gathered and like to have their their possessions. Uh, Property, as you know, is one of the highest, most demanded and cherished things that uh, people do want. Uh, There are, uh, across the United States, there are federal lands and there are fee lands. Fee lands is where Oil and gas operators go out and just deal with the individual because the individual owns the mineral rights. As the expansion of the West happened, uh, the Feds tried to gobble up as much ground as they can. And as the Keystone Pipeline has been uh, permits have been revoked, those states that have uh, th- that tax revenue that was supposed to come from the pipeline is no longer going to be there. Uh, if you get on the USGS website, it's pretty amazing to see how broad the federal-owned lands are. And, the, and with the shutdown of completions, fracking, we can discuss fracking at a later date, the, uh, it's very much 
no different of having federal lands, no different than any other country across the globe. Uh, the Chinese own, their, the, the government owns the minerals. Venezuela, the government owns the minerals. Germany, the government owns the minerals. So on and so forth. People do not have individual property owning the mineral rights. That's where individual wealth is created and has come from throughout the uh, last, oh, say over the last 120 years. Um, people who have large swaths of land can afford it. They also happen to have the mineral rights. Uh, when properties were sold 100 years ago, uh, the surface and the mineral rights were severed. The surface went to development of homes and businesses while the original owner maintained the uh, mineral rights and was either handed down through the generations, uh, family members sold it off uh, to brokerage firms or uh, whatever, but uh, most people do not sell their mineral rights because that is the value of the land. Yes, it is at the surface too. But mineral rights override surface rights in the fact that if company X says, hey, I'm going to drill here, uh, the surface owner cannot stop the mineral owner from extracting the uh, minerals below. Yeah, they can get a uh, surface damage agreement, whatever that might be. Uh, that's all negotiated with the operator going forward. But drilling will still commence. Uh, so... That's pretty much uh, ownership in a nutshell. And as uh, these states, New Mexico, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, South Dakota, Wyoming, uh, Utah, Arizona, as things uh, get shut down, there's not a whole lot of oil production in Arizona, but it does exist. Uh, these states no longer have that revenue coming in. And as I mentioned in my previous podcast, this is where job creation initiates from, from nothing. There, there, there's conceptual ideas that originate from geologists or engineers or land deals. And then as things move forward, the ability to create new jobs where they didn't exist before is what makes the United States great. It's not the government coming out and saying, hey, we're going to create 10,000 or 100,000 jobs. If they could do that, there would be nobody unemployed. But unfortunately, there still are people unemployed. Uh, those numbers are coming down as the economy slowly starts to gain a little bit of strength. People are going back to work. Uh, things are developing the way they are. They're, they're supposed to be developing. But as we continue to work with this administration and listen to this administration, the... They're going to keep hammering at oil and gas. That, it, that creates a, uh, a major rift for one reason. It's, as I mentioned before, it's control, but it's to drive that wedge. And I still haven't put my finger on why they want to accomplish it, but... They're pushing on an agenda that tries to fit with other countries that do not have the natural resources like the United States. The United States is independently wealthy. We know that. Uh, it's been that way for generations, and a lot of people want to keep it that way. Others don't. Uh, the reason why they don't want it is because there has to be some, they're looking at equality. Well, no. 
we got to stay ahead of the curve, folks. And staying ahead allows us to, to stay ahead, only allows us to get ahead by having cheap forms of energy, as I had mentioned in my previous podcast. The, the, the difficult part is, is making sure that everybody can have access to it. And that's what's great in the United States. People do have access to all forms of energy. All socioeconomic people here in the United States have access to cheap forms of energy. You go to a poor nation across the globe, the, the impoverished do not have access to oil and gas, do not have access to that energy, but the people that are in charge do. That's an unfortunate thing, but that does exist. If person a person X is making $25,000 a year, and they have to travel quite far in their job, uh, whatever might require them to do, and they have to pay for their own fuel, I'd rather have it done here in the United States than anywhere else. I have to look up the price per liter of what gasoline is going for in Europe, but I can guarantee you that it's north of $7 a gallon. This premise that we have to be paying higher prices is lunacy. RBOB gasoline price today, which is reformulated blended gasoline, which is basically the stock price that comes out of the refinery, is a $1.90, $1.92. The rest is built into taxes. So if you're if one is paying $3.10, $1.20 or more, is going uh, straight back to the states or the feds for whatever it might be. And of course, they want to start, there's discussion of raising the gas tax. The funny thing is, is if there's more electric cars out on the road, where is that tax revenue going to come from for maintaining those roads? Because gasoline at the pump does pay for those roads, supposedly. And you know the government will squander and pull money out of those purses to pay for other projects. But the money that comes from the pumps is supposed to go to pay for the maintaining the roads. <clears throat> if those electric cars fill up their electrons at their house, and they go out and drive on a road and they're actually heavier vehicles than a standard car. How are they actually paying for those road taxes? They're not. Yet. And one way or another, the U.S. government's going to figure out a way to tax electricity at a greater kilowatt hour so that even if you have a gasoline vehicle and you go to fill up at the pump, they're going to find a way to tax your uh your kilowatt hour to your home to support the people who are driving electric cars. That all, it, there's, there, there's a, another fallacy there. Um, unless Tesla or company X, whoever might be, builds their own tank filling electron station somewhere on interstate 70 or 35 or 65 or 94, which I haven't seen yet. They always seem to be jumping off and kind of tying in with ConocoPhillips or BP or Exxon or Citgo or Sunoco, whatever. They're, 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 those charging stations are there. But are they paying their fair share 
of the tax base that goes back to maintaining the roads, or they just pay an electric price. I, I don't have an electric car. That's a question I'm, I'm going to try and dig in and figure out. But back to uh, electrical use, uh, it's great to have natural gas, of course, is one of the major components of the electrical grid. All the big four, uh, as we know them as you know, Amazon, Facebook, and all them, they have huge, huge server banks. And they do not have their capability of generating their electricity. And that's why this big push for having windmills, they're trying to reduce their carbon footprint themselves, which is, which is good. But my question earlier was what was the number three use of electricity on the planet? And it is cloud-based uh, storage. It's all the tech firms. They use the most electricity. That's fine. But in order for their businesses to run, they need huge quantities of electricity. So when one sees these Amazon commercials, oh, we're sitting here and you see a windmill and you see a truck driving around and they're trying to reduce uh, whatever it is that they're trying to reduce. Remember that their server banks for managing all the data, for warehousing whatever they have in inventory, is stored somewhere on a server. And it's, it's genius to say cloud-based. It has such a nice, fluffy, airy sound to it. But in reality, it's platters and solid-state drives, banks and banks and banks of digital data, blinking lights everywhere, copper wire connecting everything together, fiber optic. The, it's it's a, a, a perfect... It's at times a really good running machine. It's not perfect, but it's a really good running machine. And technology is is there. And technology itself allows for the efficiencies of certain electrical use. And I know that these companies are trying. They're modeling uh, what their what their use is of where they can can go and what they can do. But the bottom line is there's still demand to fill that electrical grid with natural resources, from natural resources, the, the resource itself, natural gas, coal. Even though the Keystone Pipeline has been shut down, there's a couple of major train outfits that run across that area. Canadian National, which is one, and the other one's Burlington Northern. Owned by Warren Buffett. Uh, when did that go? That went private so about a, mm, 10 years ago or so. He purchased it outright when they started to go a little belly up and said, this is a good deal. So if it's not going to come down a pipeline, the oil, it's going to be moved regarding train. That's fine. Pipeline in its way is, it's it's safer. It's environmentally sound because it's, controlled it can be modeled it can see it can it, it, it can be understood a lot better because there's monitoring better monitoring uh, today than there was of yesteryear but it takes you from point a to point b directly and if that's going to a refinery that's fine but the train can take it to whatever market is is needed 
which creates a, a really unique thing is by having the ability to move on rail, they can move millions of barrels throughout the year to any market that's needing the, the crude. But there's an efficiency in that too. It's not that the tier four locomotives aren't clean. It's the waiting to fill each one of those up. The time, the idle. And when they get to the rail yard or the refinery, wherever they got to go, they got to be unloaded. That's what makes the pipeline more efficient. When oil is placed in the, the pipeline, the pressure on the other end is still oil feeding the refinery. As I just discussed before, regarding gas prices in Europe and Germany right now for gasoline E90, they run a little bit higher octane, superior grade, super unleaded, is running about 1 euro 55, which kind of converts to about a dollar 90. But remember that's for 1 liter. There are 3.76 liters in a gallon. You multiply that, you're north of $7. The money that goes back from those generated tanks tankstelle in Germany, the that's all going that majority of that goes back to it's all taxes. And on top of that, in Germany, they are now driving the liter of the engine, the size, the engine size, down as small as they can because they the Germans are taxed on the size of the engine. So if you have a 5.7 liter engine in the United States, that would be a huge tax that you would have to pay if you lived in Germany because you have a 5.7 liter engine. That's why you have all these little wimpy engines coming out that are all turbocharged or supercharged is because the size of the liter of the engine is getting smaller. So now you have a 3.0 liter engine with uh, twin turbos. Uh, you're only taxed on the size of the engine. But that's what the United States is trying to go to, to is they're trying to model their engines after what Europe's doing. They're trying to gain those efficiencies. And I, you know, whether that's good or bad, the, the tax system here, based on the amount of gas you use, it doesn't matter what size engine you have. If you burn and you travel more, you're going to pay more in fuel. Well, that's that's your your that's what makes America great. That's your prerogative. You can do if you that if you want. If you don't want to drive, you don't have to. You can carpool. That's great. But when I go to the uh, car dealership and they say, "Oh yeah, you can get this car in uh, blue, but you can only get the the new inline four, whereas last year's model was the V8." It's like, hey, you know, I like the V8. Markets are used to be driven by market demand of what people want. And now it's slowly starting to chip away. You got to have this. There, you got to have this light bulb, the LED light bulb. I remember that about 12 years ago under the Obama administration. Incandescent bulbs were automatically written out in Congress and the LED bulb was in. The efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. So what did people do with normal, good, working, incandescent bulbs in their home? People felt obligated to do the right thing, and they are. They went out and purchased brand new bulbs, LED bulbs, and replaced all the incandescent bulbs. 
it, it's just it's just like the media Blu-ray. Everybody had DVDs, then they had Blu-ray, now they have 4K, now they have 8K. How many different versions of the same media do you want? It's they're one of the great phrases from an engineer I work with is they are there to separate you from your money. That's exactly what they're doing. It's the same mantra that if we gain efficiencies by going smaller, then we're saving something, saving the planet. And like George Carlin said, we're not saving anything. We're in, the earth is going nowhere. We are. That is classic. That's classic. And it still holds true today. The, the inability for humans to recognize uh, one of the greatest flaws is the human time scale. We place our 100-year life, that's about what we do, 80 to 100 years, we place everything on that time scale. The planet is 4.6 billion years old. It's been through ice ages, it's been through droughts, it's been through meteors, it's been through lava, it's been through all types of things. Floods, freezes, blackouts, whatever. It, it's, it's still survived. And as we live in the Goldilocks zone, we place everything on a time scale of which we know it, 100 years. That's why when you see meteorologists come out and say, oh, the temperatures are increasing by a, a degree. This is happening. We haven't seen this in a lifetime. Well, whose lifetime? My lifetime? Your lifetime? Since 1920? 1820? I don't, you know, it's... This whole mantra of squeezing it to a time scale that we can associate, it's just like the one inch. It's measuring really close to you, but the human time scale is irrelevant in what's going on in climate change. Climate change does happen. And that's the unfortunate thing is Exxon knows that. They know what climate changes. We drill on shelves, we drill in deltas, we drill in reefs, all that resources is stored away in some kind of structure. The thing is, is government's trying to use that against them saying, hey, you knew that the climate was going to change because of this, and therefore the product that you're selling is causing damage to the earth. Yes, carbon dioxide has gone up. It just reached another milestone, 400 parts per million. Plants can only take so much CO2, but there's always another plant willing to take more CO2. It's a tree. The, the biggest polluters of CO2 happens to be inside the beltway of Washington, D.C. All they do is talk, expel CO2. That's what we do. In order for us to live, we breathe in O2, we expel CO2. And I think a lot of that uh, basic biology is forgotten, too, of what goes on with Mammals, in terms of breathing and staying alive. Yes, we need to manage CO2 output, but joining the Paris Accord and not really having any teeth in it, it's just another show-and-tell deal. We're going to cut CO2 based off of this. Our CO2 has actually dropped because we have started to burn more natural gas. Coal is still good. It's storable. It doesn't need, uh, it can be stored out anywhere. Natural gas it has to be stored in caverns or reefs or wherever it might be. 
in the ground up in Michigan, Kalkaska area. But as that resources pulled, natural gas is pulled out of the caverns to burn for electrical use, is more efficient than coal because just the the, nat, the natural matter of what's being burned. Uh, for example, in China, in India, they're trying to keep the electrical costs as low as they can, and the cheapest form of electrical generation is utilizing coal. That's fine, but if we're going to have this giant kumbaya in Paris where, where France can't even meet their own accord, what's the point? There's a certain point at which the, the hypocrisy becomes ridiculous. If the United States can drop its CO2 emissions, it's because it's wealthy. It, it has the capability of doing so. Such countries in, in Africa or even the Middle East or South America, they can't do that. So they have to burn low-density fuels to, to keep their uh, electrical grid up or for people to do things. At one time, in the Dominican Republic, when El Paso had a, a plant-generating system there, it, they would have rolling, rolling brownouts. And the people knew that they had to have rolling brownouts, and what they did is they would bypass the meter. So they would go out, the power would be off, they would hook their house up directly up to the uh, the line, and then they'd have electricity into their house. But that was a coal-fired power plant. Everything that generates electricity emits something. There's always everything, whether it's wind, solar, or coal, or natural gas, nuclear, there's some byproduct or something that is just... It has to be dealt with. That's just thermodynamics. You, the byproducts just don't disappear. It was the same thing under the Obama administration when they were supposed to build somewhere in central Illinois a brand new state-of-the-art gas uh, conversion plant that utilized coal for uh, carbon sequestration. It was supposed to cost like $2 billion. The thing is, is when carbon is stripped out, the, the, the remnants that are left behind become more acute. So the sulfurs, the mercuries, the things that are actually, the particulates that are actually there become more, more pronounced. So they're actually elevated. Then you have to deal with that a certain way. It's just not carbon sequestration and then we can store it somewhere. There's certain things that can be managed, but you have to deal with the residuals that can become more, that are actually more toxic than CO2 itself. So Yes, there has to be a, a, a general way to do it. Free markets should actually drive this. Uh, government should support it, but they don't need to be the driver of it because the last time I remember anything that the government did right was Conrail. I'm sure they did other small things right. They you know they got the military. That's always done right. That runs at efficiency uh, unto itself. But when Penn Central, uh, basically the union of Pennsylvania Railroad and the New York Central Railroad, failed, it went rolled up into Penn Central, and then it was so broad that it actually had duplication of the same routes. So from Pennsylvania to Chicago, they didn't gain anything. They had the same routes running from city to city. So it wasn't as if they gained any new uh, territory. So therefore, it just continued to implode. But then Conrail came in. And then that was the in the 80s. That formed uh, a better union for them, and it actually worked. It created a viable company. And that was a way of saving that part of the, the world uh, in the eastern part of the United States for, for the railroads. So it, it's, it can be done. 
as long as there's a strategic plan. But to just go at it in point directions and run around with a giant paintbrush and co cover everything as one coat isn't going to work. Uh, there needs to be strategic scalpel approaches. Things are much more dynamic than what they were and they had ever been. Things are a lot more complicated today. Sometimes I wish I could go back 150 years and just say, ah, don't have to deal with any of this. But you have to deal with other issues from 150 years ago. So it, it doesn't matter how uh, one slices it, that pendulum swings both ways. The thing is, we need all forms of electricity. We need to be able to utilize and use everything with efficiencies that we uh, haven't done before. And that's going to be directed and dictated by markets. And for U.S. government to come out and pick winners and losers to cripple, try to cripple oil and gas companies, these companies, uh, the large ones here, we call them super majors, you know, huge, they're really itty-bitty globally. And they might have less than 5% of the global reserves, maybe a little bit more, but not a whole lot. They're competing against Saudi Aramco's, the other national oil companies. There's one oil company in, you know, Qatar, whatever it might be. Uh, these companies, the, the Chevrons, the Exxons, they are on a different, let's say, level, and they are a bank unto themselves to have the U.S. government chip away at their own costs while they try to fight lawsuit after lawsuit only hinders ExxonMobil, Chevron, from doing their actual job of creating and building the infrastructure to keep that resource cheap here in the continental United States. If things get so expensive here where we're paying $7 a gallon, we're going to have bigger problems. Jobs of people being able to get around aren't going to happen. Those things will shore up really quick. One of the Before I go here, one of the sad things um, I was traveling through here in Oklahoma City, going to a record store. Uh, I went underneath uh, I-40, and there is unfortunate, you know, little tent town of uh, homeless people living there. Uh, do you think they had good environmental policy? No. It was, it was trash everywhere. It was broken bottles garbage bags, loose leaf, uh, Walmart bags everywhere, things stuck in the fence. It, it was just trash. So when people don't have individual wealth, you do not have environmental policy. It doesn't exist. When things are, when people have wealth, you have environmental policy. And people are therefore partially willing to pay for it so that way they have a nicer environment. We have a great environment. Uh, the water's clean. The air's clean. Uh, so, and th that's just a small little area in Oklahoma, but it's everywhere in the United States where there are little tent villages. They do not have environmental policy, just like poor countries across the globe. They do not have env environmental policy. So therefore they need the cheapest form of electricity to be able to generate, to support their own citizens or subjects or whatever, whatever they are, whatever kingdom you live in. So with that, I conclude today's show. I appreciate you jumping in. I'll have another one hopefully next week with some more uh, content, and uh, we'll go from there. So be well, be safe, talk soon, catch you on the flip side. And enjoy this song from Michael Mann.
love is free. Well, why do you lock yourself? 